In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good, but it didn't stay good. Adam and Eve traded perfect fellowship with God in exchange for a false promise, and in doing so, they tore down the good garden. Humanity continued to trade good for bad, brother for blood, birthright for a bowl of stew, and yet, as humanity descended, God was still working. In the ashes of a torn down garden, in a broken family, the Lord was planting the seeds of redemption. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Adonai, Elohim, Yahweh, O Lord, Lord Almighty, the great I am. Father, we continue our time of worship here this morning. Where we come together as a people who you have chosen to worship you, to hear from you, Lord. And so we ask as we open up this revelation from you, your word, that you would work by the power of your spirit to awaken hearts, help us to see with our spiritual eyes, Lord, as we praise you, along with our brothers and sisters who praise you around the world this morning, Lord. We join with them in worship. Lord, be with us here this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Tom, and I'm an elder here at LAFC, and today we're getting back into the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 32. So if you need a Bible, you can go ahead and grab one from our other ushers. Otherwise, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis 32. And we've been in a series on the book of Genesis since September. And in it, God has, begin, has revealed to us <clears throat> 
the beginning of a story that impacts every single one of us. Because in it, he gives us a story, he reveals the beginning of both the world and also humanity. See, this is our story. And what we saw back in the fall is that the world began void and formless and dark. And into that, by the wisdom and power of God, he spoke into it land and sky and light and life. He filled the the world he created with animals and fish in the sea and bugs that crawled along the earth. He filled the skies with birds and the heavens he filled with angels. Everything from the world we live in to the furthest galaxies we've discovered to this point have all been created by the power of his word. And then God tells us he created mankind. Not out of something else. We didn't evolve from anything. It says that God created us from the dust of the earth. He created man from the dust and woman from the man. And then what we see is that mankind is different than anything else he had created. Different from the rocks and the trees and the animals and even the angels because mankind was made in the image of God and made for a relationship with God. But then man rebelled against God. Adam disobeyed God, he ate the forbidden fruit. He didn't keep his trust in the Lord, instead he went his own way and what we see is in that moment sin entered the world and this relationship between God and man was severed. And once sin enters the world, as man multiplies across the world, sin also multiplies. And one of the most climactic moments of this happens in a place called Babel, where man acts in the greatness of his pride and God responds by scattering man across the earth and confusing our languages. But then what we see happen immediately next, after God scatters mankind, he begins to gather a people to himself. This plan of redemption begins with a man named Abraham. And it continues for generation after generation until at just the right time, it was made secure by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And this story continues today in the church, God is continuing to gather people, pulling people back out of darkness and into his unimaginable light. That's the story of what God is doing today in the church. That's why we're studying Genesis. This is the book of beginnings. Beginning is of man, beginning of the world, and the beginnings of God's people. So if you're just joining us this morning, We've been looking at this since the fall, and since November, we've been looking more closely at the first recorded family that God pulls out of darkness into light after Babel. We've been looking specifically at three guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is a a father, a son, and a grandson. Now, in scripture, these guys are known as the patriarchs. 
It's not a word we maybe like so much in our modern times, but the Bible holds these men in high regard, not because of the things that they had done, but because of what God was doing through them. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking specifically at the life of Jacob. And if we've seen anything, it's that the people of God don't always look like the people of God. If you don't believe me, just look to your left and your right. If your spouse is on your left, look to your right. <laughs> people of God don't always look like the people of God, but that's okay. You know, when, we, when we've been looking at the life of Jacob, we have seen God speak to him. God has appeared in dreams. God has blessed him. God has said, I will be with you. And yet, for most of Jacob's life, what we see him do is pursue the blessings that come from God rather than pursue God himself. He's been pursuing all the normal stuff. We've seen him go after wealth and family, security, approval. It's a normal list. And what we see happening in his life is he's falling into the same snare that, that ensnared Eve and still ensnares us today. It's that he desired the blessings that come from God more than God himself. Today we're gonna look at how God responds to us when we find ourselves in this position. We're gonna look at three ways that God intervenes in our life when we've fallen into this snare, when we began to desire the gifts more than the gift giver. And the three things we're gonna see is that God meets with us, he changes us, and he abides with us. So that's where we're headed. But before we get there, since we've been in the life of Jacob for the last few weeks, I just wanna do a quick recap of where we've been. You see, we've watched Jacob as he's pursued blessings, right? He's pursued blessings from God, not God. Now, when you hear, when you hear the word blessing, what do you think of? You know, Webster would say we think of enjoying happiness. There was a survey done a couple years ago where they asked people, what is it that makes you feel happy? And this was a global survey. Here's the list that came back. This is in order. It said, the first thing is physical health, then mental health, good relationships with your spouse, meaning in life, children, good living conditions, Safety, control, spending time outside, having a meaningful job, and of course, more money. Now this survey was done in 2022 AD. Jacob pursued blessings from God in 2000 BC. What was he after? Well, we read two weeks ago that he was after uh, the birthright and his father's blessing, Esau's birthright and his father's blessing, which in today's terms implies things like inheritance, control, family and descendants, influence, reputation. The list should sound familiar. The things that we think that human, that human beings, that mankind thinks that we need to make us happy doesn't really change much across times or across cultures were pretty predictable. 
The other thing that doesn't change much when we pursue the blessings from God more than God himself is that we never seem to find quite enough to bring complete satisfaction. Something always seems to go wrong or something always seems to be missing. This was Jacob's story too. So consider two weeks ago when he left Canaan, right? So he, he's leaving Canaan and he's got the, the blessing and the birthright, these two things that he was pursuing and willing to trade a lot away to get. Well, what did the rest of his life look like? Well, for starters, he was part of a family that had an expectation that they would have descendants as numerous as there are stars in the sky, and he was a 70-year-old bachelor. Not a good start. And also, there was this small issue that because of what he did to get those things, his twin brother wanted to kill him. Not exactly the list of things that you'd want to have if you were pursuing happiness. Now, where we're picking up in Genesis 32 today, he's returning home to Canaan. He's been away for 20 years. And as he comes back, what he's coming back with now is he's coming back with flocks. He's coming back with herds. He has wives and children now. His family has started to grow. But he also comes back with one more thing. And that's major stress. You see, he's stressed because he has just sent messengers to test the waters with Esau to see if his brother still has a beef with him or if these 20 years has healed those wounds. And what we're gonna pick up here in Genesis chapter 32 is those messengers are returning back with their report from Esau. It's Genesis 32, verse six. This is what they come back with. It says, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. So do you know how sometimes not saying something is saying something. I, it took me a few years into marriage to learn that, to learn that sometimes when someone doesn't say something, they're saying something. And that's exactly what we see happening here. Esau does not send back a message, but he is coming with a small army. And this leaves Jacob terrified. Just when it seems like life might be starting to come together, he's got the prosperity he wanted, he's got the family that he wanted, and he's finally returning home to the land that has been promised to his father, both of his fathers. He's, it seems like he's about to lose it all. God's blessings were never meant to fully satisfy the human heart. This is what Jake is beginning to find out here. That we never quite seem to have it all, which is why Christ said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Meaning you and I were not made to find our satisfaction in having everything go right in life. We were made to be satisfied by God alone. Now, if we don't come to him, then our unmet hunger and our unquenched thirst 
begins to do some things to our souls that begins to distort our perspectives on what life is really like. Just for example, as a young professional, I enjoyed the challenges of work. I mean, I still do. I believe that God gave us work in the garden before the fall. It's what it said in the beginning of Genesis, that it's a good thing. It's a blessing from God. I enjoy the challenges of it. I enjoy building and creating with people who are pursuing the same cause. It's a good things. But when the marketplace became my chief desire, it began to distort my perspective. The other roles that God had called me to started to look like inconveniences. Specifically, I'm thinking of my roles as a father and a husband. But by God's mercy, he intervenes to change us and reorder our loves, to set our perspective straight. And for Jacob, this merciful intervention comes in the story we're about to read in this crisis with Esau on the horizon. He's about 24 hours out. So now jumping back into the text, Jacob is filled with fear. The messenger just got back. These guys are on foot, so Esau is not far behind. He's gonna be there the next morning. So filled with fear, we see in Genesis chapter two, starting in verse nine, Jacob does something that we do not have record of him doing for his 90-year life until this point. He prays. Let's read his prayer. Verse nine. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and to your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I only had my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted." Now, as far as prayers go, it's a pretty good prayer. You can, you can hear his heart in this, right? He's praying for safety. He's praying for prosperity. Those are the promises that are coming to mind. But if you're looking to learn how to pray, this would, there, could, this wouldn't be, there wouldn't be many better places to start. It's a good prayer. But what we're gonna take away from this is simply that when we pray, God hears us. God hears us. And in Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32, what we read at the beginning of this, this is God's response to Jacob's prayer. Let me just give you a quick summary of what Anna read for us. So this is God responding. First, we see that Jacob finds himself alone at night. He had sent his possessions and his family across the river and he stayed behind. Now a man shows up and he wrestles with Jacob until sunrise. Now the man can't overpower Jacob, but the man can dislocate Jacob's hip just by touching it. When the man says it's time for this wrestling match to be over, Jacob says, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. But apparently they had missed introductions because the man then asked Jacob for his name. Jacob gives his name, then the man changes 
Jacob's name to Israel. Then he blesses him, then he's gone. At the end, we learn that this man was God. All right, so if you came across this passage in your time with the Lord, what are you gonna do with it? Let's see if we can break it down together and see what God has to tell us here this morning, starting in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford at the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that it was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. All right, so as we're considering how God meets with us, let's make a few observations from the text. The first thing we see here is that Jacob was alone. God brings Jacob to a place of solitude, which is a pattern we see time and time again in Scripture. Now, this is a, a little bit of a side lesson here, but we see God work this way with his people all the time. We, we saw it with Adam. We see it here with Jacob. We see it with Elijah, Jeremiah, Samuel, David. We see it with John, even with Jesus Christ. As we're talking about God meeting us, we see that God works in unique ways when we find ourselves alone. So I just wanna ask before we go further, do you struggle to feel God's presence? And if so, when was the last time you were alone with God? Truly alone. No people, no connections through a, a phone or otherwise, alone with him. Because for me, I didn't begin to feel God's consistent presence in my life until I began consistently spending time with him alone, with his word and in prayer. That's what changed me. We also see that this man wrestled with Jacob. God wrestled with Jacob. What we're seeing here is an outward manifestation of what's going on inside Jacob's heart. At this point, the man is unnamed, but we know from verse 30, and we also know from Hosea chapter 12, that this man was God which is unbelievable. Jacob is wrestling with God. What we literally see playing out here is an attribute of God that we call his imminence, which means he isn't far off. He's not like the other gods that men of this world follow. No, he is a God who comes near. He comes close to us. He is personal, and he meets with us. Now, I've never been a wrestler. Some of you in here have. But I have watched my sweaty friends grapple on the floor. And I can tell you, you don't get much closer to somebody than when you're wrestling with them. Right? These guys are not chatting over lattes. Jacob is able to pour him his whole self out as he wrestles with the Lord without holding anything back. They are up close and personal with each other. And then in the midst of all this, God says this very crazy thing. 
that God could not overpower Jacob. Now, I checked the Hebrew on this with some friends, and they confirmed, yes, it says, God could not overpower Jacob. Now, I know I got some theologians in the room about to lose their marbles, so let me just clarify things for us. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. There's no question about that. But sometimes he comes in weakness to accomplish his purposes. Maybe some other times come to mind. Here I think one of his, one of his purposes is to encourage Jacob. Jacob has come to him in fear. He has come to him with his heart struggling. He's come in humility. And God is not gonna kick him while he's down. God meets with us and encourages us. Here, he gives Jacob the win. And I think this also helps to explain what's going on with the hip. You see, Jacob is gonna leave this struggle limping, is what we read later. And that limp will be a constant reminder that this was no dream. God met with him. He wrestled with God and he prevailed. So whatever struggle lies ahead, if he can prevail there, he can prevail in anything that comes on his path. But also, he will not prevail on his own power. He will walk with a limp as a constant reminder that he depends on God for strength. And then as this meeting comes to a, to a close, when God says it's time to be done, Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, as we already kind of made clear here, Jacob's not some MMA fighter with God in an armbar making demands. God has no need for Jacob to have to release him. Now, Gramps here, he is 90 years old and now he's got a limp. Hosea describes this interaction as Jacob pleading and begging for favor through tears. God has met with Jacob and now God is changing Jacob. And unlike his prayer, you can see here, he doesn't ask for anything specific. Before he asked for God to fulfill his promises for prosperity and family, here he just asked for blessing. He's putting his future into God's hands. And I think it's because at this point he's realized he doesn't know what it's gonna take to satisfy his desires. He has struggled to, to find satisfaction his entire life and every time he seems to come up short. I think the same sort of experience led C.S. Lewis to conclude this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. When Jacob asked for blessing, I don't think he knows what he's asking for, but God knows. And God begins to respond in verse 27. The man asked him, what is your name? What is your name? It's one of the first phrases we learn when we're learning a foreign language. It's a simple phrase. 
But simple phrases in the mouth of God can become like bunker busters into our hearts. They can penetrate us to our very core. Surely when Jacob heard God ask him, what is your name? He is hearing the voice of his father who asked him the same question. Blind Esau asked Jacob, who is this? And Jacob answered Esau. He put his desire for blessing from God above obedience to God, and he lied. And it blew up his life. He's now spent 20 years away from the promised land. And he's, it's why he's in this current crisis with his brother wanting to kill him. You see, God is not asking for Jacob's name here. He knows his name. He's omnipotent and he's omniscient. He's asking Jacob to confess. Who are you? What is your nature? That's what this question means in the Hebrew. You're confessing your nature. What have you done? What consumes your mind and motivates your actions? Being confronted with this question for Jacob likely stirred up all kinds of guilt and all kinds of shame, but that is not God's ultimate aim. You see, here the great cardiologist is at work on Jacob's heart. And as part of that work, God is giving Jacob the opportunity to confess and give an honest answer. And that's exactly what Jacob does. He replies with one word, Jacob, he answered. So what is your name? Well, my name is Tom. Well, no, who, who are you? Okay, well, I'm a husband and a father I'm a business owner, business owner and an elder. No, those, those are the role, roles you've been called to. Who are you? Okay. Well, I'm an engineer. I'm an ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs. I'm a DI on the disc. I'm an American citizen and I love Asian food. No. Those things describe you, but who are you? And remember, this is God asking. So when he says, who are you? He's saying, who are you in reference to me? Years ago, I would have had to say, in reference to you, Lord, I desire personal achievement and the control that wealth brings more than I desire you. That's who Tom Daly Jr. was. So God is asking, who are you? What drives your nature? Are you driven by comfort? Are the things that you find most pleasurable also the things that you are the most ashamed of? Are you driven by control when you face a problem? Is your first reaction to plan or to pray? Are you driven by reputation or the approval of others? Are you more concerned about their opinion of you or their opinion of God? And if any of those things hit home, God says, maybe that's who you are apart from me. 
but that is not who you will be with me. So as God draws us in, as he draws his people in, out of darkness, into light, he is forming and transforming us. God is doing this work as he he gathers, gathers his people. And that transforming work is what we're seeing play out here with Jacob next. In verse 28, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome That name Israel means overcomer and prince of God. He gets a new name. Jacob is getting a new nature. And when we put our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, we get a new name and a new nature too. Actually, we get a lot of new names. Let me give you a few. We are no longer called foreigners and strangers, but citizens of heaven. We are no longer called children of wrath, but children of God. We are no longer called enslaved, but we are called those who have been set free from sin. We're emancipated. If you're with us this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, but have come to find out that the desires, there are desires within you that no experience in this life seems to satisfy, then there's something that you need to know. Your heart was not designed to find complete satisfaction in the blessings that come from God, but only in God himself. God has made me and God has made you for a relationship with him. But your sins have cut you off from that relationship. He is holy and righteous and just. So because of our sins, that means we're no longer under his favor, but we're under his wrath. But in his love for us, God came. The son of God, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life as a man. And he died on the cross, taking upon himself the penalty for our sins. Now he invites us to repent and put our trust in him as Lord and Savior. And when we do that, God says, and he confirms through Christ's resurrection, God says that we are born again and that relationship with God is restored. This is how God is gathering his people back to himself again, one by one. And my friends, there's nothing like it. While the struggles in this life will always persist, in him we can find true peace and true satisfaction and true delight that will only grow for all of eternity. So as we close, I wanna show you what true satisfaction in this life can look like. In verse 29, God responds. says, then he blessed him there. Now this word bless is used over 60 times in Genesis, over 300 times in the Old Testament. Now sometimes we say bless the Lord. Some of you are memorizing Psalm 103 that says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now in that context, it's a different meaning. When blessings flow up, it means praise. 
But here we're seeing blessings flow down, down from God to man. So hear me on this. To be truly blessed by God is to receive good things from God with the most good thing being God himself. This is how God relates with us. He says yes to Jacob. Jacob says, I want your blessing, and he blesses him. This was not a foregone conclusion. This is an overflow of God's heart of goodness towards man. But it should not have come as a surprise to us who have been reading about God's character through Genesis. And let me show you what I mean. We saw God do this in Genesis chapter one. If you were paying attention, in Genesis chapter one, verses 27 and 28, it says, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. We saw it in Genesis chapter nine with Noah. It says, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and multiply and increase and fill the earth. We saw it in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. Go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And we saw it in Genesis chapter 26 with Isaac. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt, live in the land that I will tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. Now on that last one, we get something a little more explicitly that was just implied in all the others. The blessing is not just the good things from God, but he says, I will be with you. The blessing is God himself. And this is one of the most remarkable, most encouraging, most amazing and unexpected truths in all of scripture that God desires and wills to bless his people with good things, but the most good thing he gives us is himself. So much so that he'll even show up for a wrestling match. What was God's promise to Moses at his time of trial? Moses says, who am I that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. How about Joshua on the eve of battle? I will be with you. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. How about his promised blessing to all of his people for all time? The virgin is going to have a baby. She will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. And what does Jesus Christ say at the end of the Great Commission in Matthew? He says, surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And then what do we read at the end of Luke? While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. This is the truest blessing of the Christian life. It doesn't get more blessed than this. God does not always give us all the good things we desire, but he does give us the most good thing. He gives us himself. Now we get the privilege and opportunity of learning to know him, to live with him, to walk with him, to abide in him and delight and satisfy ourselves in him. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, 
he will give us the desires of our heart. Let's pray. Lord, we cannot comprehend your goodness and your love and your mercy towards us, Lord. There are no words that can capture it, no way that we can describe it, Lord, so we respond in worship and praise. Thank you, Lord, for the work you have done. We glorify and praise and bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand, rest in the promise that he is with us. Oh, 
At the end of our text today, we see that Jacob renames the place where he met God, Penuel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Now, I know when we leave here, those struggles, those uh, hurdles, those things that contend against us, that wrestle with our hearts, are still gonna be out there. But I pray we leave knowing that we don't need to try and find or create or manipulate our way to satisfaction by creating the perfect life, but that we can find joy and happiness in God alone. But also know that there is more to come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. That's sometimes what we're feeling. This, this life is not all that there is. We were meant for eternity. And then it says, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So we're a people that can be joyful in this life, but we're also hopeful for the next. And we, we leave this place praising God for all of his goodness and love towards us. And with that, I say, go in peace. You are dismissed.